Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, How to Be a Friend Like Jesus, and it is part of the Power of Connection Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can always visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. I'm uh, Pastor Phil, Bethany Community Church. So excited to be here today. One of the, one of the cool things I get to do every week is, uh, uh, on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, I get to teach an apologetics class here at uh, Bethany Christian Academy. And uh, apologetics class has nothing to do with apologizing, by the way. Uh, for those of you who don't know, but apologetics means defending the faith. But I want you to know something. I, I think the students, if they were here, th- those that are here would all agree with me. Man, we're on solid ground. <laughs> I, unbelievable solid ground. There's no other thought or philosophy or idea of man or, or even other religions that comes close to the, to the foundation, provability, um, credibility, integrity of the Christian faith is just unbelievable, unbelievable. I mean, I mean, we just buried evolution. We just buried it. It just, I mean, just it, it just just doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't work. They had a, they had a symposium a few years ago about it, and and a bunch of engineers got together and said, uh, you know, we don't think would evolution really work? And they had this big symposium. They ended up throwing chairs at each other and everything else because. Because they said, no, engineers and the biologists, because it's their religion, you know, because you're threatening their religion, and they, so they were the ones throwing the chairs at the engineers. I like engineers, but don't you? I mean, <laughs> all right, uh, we, we had a, well, we had a, uh, we had a great week this week. One thing that happened this week was, I know this doesn't sound very great, but we had a funeral this week, uh, a celebration of life of, of a guy named John Sullivan, Pastor John Sullivan, Pastor Franklin, uh, Massachusetts, and down this road, a friend of mine for many, many years. Man, the Spirit of God was there, so rich, and so. In fact, we're we're honored this morning that uh, the the uh, a, a big contingency of members from that church are here this morning. So those from Tri County, uh, full gospel. I think I'm saying it right. Welcome to Bethany. Amen. <clears throat> All right, we get a new series today. John chapter 15, verse 19, the power of connection. The power of connection. It seems like every series, uh, when I get down to get ready to study for it, I go, why did I choose this? I don't have anything on this. And then by the time it's time to preach, I'm I'm saying, my goodness, this is so big, it'll take me the rest of my ministry to preach this. And this is big, man. This subject is big. And as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's command, and I remain in his love. I have told you this so that, you, so that my joy may be, complete, may be in you, and that your, your joy may be complete. Uh, underscore that. God wants you to have joy, and God wants you to have fun. 
My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will last, fruit that will last, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Uh, perhaps you've watched uh, uh, the, the Frankenstein movies. And if you remember, there was one uh, made in 1935, back when Barlas Karloff was, Karloff was playing Frankenstein. And Frankenstein, the monster, uh, finds himself, uh, he comes upon in the woods a, a hut. And... This hermit was in the hut, and the hermit goes outside, and finally, finally, he invites Frankenstein into the hut. The hermit is blind, so he cannot see that Frankenstein is a monster. And he goes, the, 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 the blind hermit goes, if you see there's this scene, kind of, it's almost, it's, it's comical uh, and strange, but this hermit Says, says, starts to pray. And he says, he says, I have prayed many times for God to send me a friend. It's very lonely here. And it's been a long time since any human being has come into this hut. I shall look after you and you will comfort me. Imagine, it's Frankenstein. And he's saying, I will look after you and I will comfort you. And you see, he, he finally realizes that Frankenstein is deaf. He's blind. He's deaf. He begins to teach Frankenstein how to speak. And he humanizes the monster. And uh, when, when finally these hunters come you know, to, the, to the hut and they, they, they see Frankenstein and they start to attack and they burn the hut down and you see the last part of that scene is Frankenstein is going off into the woods saying, my friend, my friend, where's my friend? <laughs> Something like that. Frankenstein understood the power of friendship, right? Contemporary Christians, we tend to put words, um, we tend to use words when we talk about our spiritual experience, we use words like atonement, redemption, sin, justification, repentance, born again, filled with the Spirit. While we're not being unbiblical at all to use those words, by the way. We're not being unbiblical to use those words. Those are wonderful words, born again, filled with the Spirit. Those are incredible, wonderful, awesome words. But when we rarely use the most prominent word that described Jesus to explain the gospel, to explain God. The word that was central in the gospels and even the early church, and that is the word friendship. Listen to the New Testament scriptures. I'm just going to, in the old days, we should do sword drills where we just calling out scripture references and you had to look them up as fast as you could. I'm going to do a quick sword drill with you. Acts 2.44, all the believers were together and shared everything. Acts 2.46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affections. Outdo one another in showing honor. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Look, each of you, look not only to your own interest, 
but also to the interest of others. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts, ruins good morals. We used to sing a hymn that said, pure is the mind of Christ. Sinless I see. He, the great example, is the pattern for me. When we talk about getting back to Jesus, to the average person, probably to the average Christian, probably to the average evangelical, when we talk about getting back to Jesus, they immediately think of doctrine, getting back to correct doctrine, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. That is important. Don't leave here today saying he said it didn't matter if we believe in Jesus. But really getting back to Jesus means that you become incredibly relational. That you become a great friend. You You become a great lover of humanity and a great friend to other humans. And you get better and better at the art of friendship and connection. So, I want to tell you three things today, or or I want to present three things to you today. One, how can you be a friend like Jesus? Number two, why should you be a friend like Jesus? And number three, what will enable you to be a friend like Jesus? How to be a friend like Jesus? Now, he starts off by saying, in the text, he's talking about abiding in in me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, and the, the whole chapter 14 and and the 15, he's talking about abiding in me. And then he says, I, I'm telling you these things so your joy may be full. I, I'm telling you that, that I don't call you servants, which is a business relationship, an official relationship. I, I don't call you a business relationship. I don't call you a professional uh, uh, functionaries. I call you friends so that you can be full of joy, full of happiness, full of fun. You know, there, you know the things that are complicated and tedious aren't fun. How many of you are just going around in life looking for something that's complicated and tedious? How many of you just want to go to a church where everybody's all complicated and tedious and everybody's always offended about something? And always fighting about something. Is is that what you're looking for in a church? Jesus put the simplicity. Jesus put the fun back into friendship. Amen? Thank you. Here's how he does it. He makes it simple. Things that are simple are more fun. Jesus makes it simple. Here's Here's some things a friend does. A friend like Jesus To be a friend like Jesus. A friend like Jesus invites people to go with them. That's not complicated, is it? A friend like Jesus invites people to go with him. John chapter 1 verse 35 we read, The following day, Jesus was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. 
notice that, that Jesus just said, come and be with me. Uh, let's spend the day together. Let, let's us be the agenda. You, you, you ever go to an event with somebody and you sense the event was more important than you? The, the event was more important than the friendship because if anything went wrong, if anything got stressful, if the event did not go perfectly, evening was ruined. But Jesus said, let's just go be together. I love the verse in, 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 in the book of Mark where it says, Jesus chose the 12 that he might be with them. Are, are you a person who invites people to go with you? D do you invite people to go along with you? We, we had, we, we had a, 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 many of you know uh, Jim and Beth Meister. Beth went on to be with the Lord. And, and then uh, Ted and Nancy Meehan. And Net Ted was gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, and the, the, the reason they began to attend Bethany's, they visited one time, and uh, I don't think uh, uh, Jim would mind me saying this, but Beth was a, was, a, was a starchy Lutheran, and she came to a church where we're not, we're not hyper-Pentecostal in our worship, but we're a little more, uh, we're a little looser than, than the starchy Lutherans are, right? And, uh, and, and, uh, uh, the the Mians had never met them, walked over to them and said, would you go to lunch with us? They went to lunch, and Beth says to Jim in the car, and Beth didn't think she would want to come to a church like this, and Beth says when they get in the car and they've had lunch with the Mians, that's where we're going to go to church. Because somebody walked over to them and said, go with us. That's how you be, that's how you be friends, like Jesus. You say, come and hang out with me. Come to my place. Come over to my house. Let's go to lunch together today. You know, I grew up in, the I grew up in, a, in an era in church. We didn't do, do small groups. We had too many services to do small groups because we had about four or five services a week. But let me tell you something we did. For one thing, we had a Sunday night service. We had Sunday morning and we had Sunday night. And you know what we all did after Sunday night, after the service was dismissed? We all went to the Dairy Queen. We packed out the Dairy Queen. We were being like Jesus. Because that's what Jesus would have done. Read, read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. They accused Jesus of being a glutton. They accused him of being a glutton and a wine-bibber because he was always hanging out with people. He was always being with people. There is no, absolutely, no... Um, no case to be made for loner Christianity. Amen. A friend like Jesus does another thing. They regularly resist failure and rejection. You know, Jesus constantly invited people to go with him. Most of them said no. <laughs> Jesus constantly invited people to deeper commitment to him. Most of them said no. But he didn't stop. Even on the cross, he's trying to make Make nice with people on the cross. He's up there on the cross, hanging on the cross, dying. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's, he's, he's tr making connection with, his, with the people that were crucifying him. Friendship was a serious business to him. He prayed all night before he chose his disciples. You know that scripture I gave you a while ago? He chose the twelve that he might be with them. Well, you go back a, a verse or two. He prayed all night before he chose them to be with him. This was serious business to him. Another thing a friend does, a friend like Jesus looks for people whose lives have room for him. 
or whose lives have room for them. That's what a friend like Jesus does. See, they, they had a saying in those days, may I walk in the dust of my rabbi. The, the greatest honor of a Jewish man was to have a rabbi that he followed. And so Jesus choosing the 12 to be his best friends and to follow him means that they had been picked over. They, had, they, didn't, they didn't make the draft. They weren't in the first round, second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round. They were lower in the draft than Tom Brady. They didn't get picked. They were free agents. Jesus found the people that nobody else had picked and said, let's be friends. Well, does that speak to you this morning? Does that speak to you? Because I watch, even in church, even in church, I watch people go come into this place. And there's lonely people, or, or alone, I don't know if they're lonely, but alone people all over the room, all over the building. And they want to go and get involved with the person that has five people surrounding them. That's the person they want to talk to. They want to talk to the person that they view as popular. They want to talk and get to know the person they view as having the most power. I'm telling you, that is not pleasing to God. That's like junior highs, boys and girls. We, are we oh, I'm sorry, junior high boys and girls. I'm so sorry. You are, you are much more mature than that. It's like junior high boys and girls when I was in junior high. Huh? Long time ago. Oh, Yes. Back when we had phones that are on the wall. <laughs> Don't be that person that looks for who has the power. That's who I got to be friends with. No, look for the person who's alone. Look for the person that nobody's talking to that's by themselves. I talked to someone just the other day, and they were talking about getting picked in their church to be a small group leader. And when they had the small group training, all the small group leaders were talking about these two ladies that they all said, I hope they don't get in my group. <laughs> there were two ladies, I hope they don't get in my group. And he, he was telling me just the other day, he said, those two ladies came to my group. And he said, you know, I got to know their stories. I got to know the tremendous abuse they had experienced as children, the tremendous abuse they had experienced in their marriages. And I began to understand them and begin to care about them and love them. That's a friend like Jesus. Church, we got to quit being like the world. The world's all about a power struggle. Everything that's going out there right now that you don't like, and the media and the politics and everything, it's all because it's all about power. They will change their view like that if it will give them more power. They will change their affiliation. The very, the very candidate that they stood on the stage and, and vilified and rebuked and, and destroyed, uh, uh, two weeks later, they're standing on the stage with them, endorsing them. They can be that way. That's politics. That's the world. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We're the body of Christ. Amen?
We're the body of Christ. We are walked, we're, we're, we're following a different master and we belong to a different kingdom. We're building the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is built on love, not power. Power is a delusion anyway. Love is reality that will last. A friendship like Jesus insists that friendships always please God. Jesus makes this statement that I don't advise you to say to anybody. Uh, you are my friends if you do what I command you. D don't say that, okay? <laughs> you probably used to have a friend like that, an ex-friend. You have an ex-friend like that, right? But wait a minute. What was Jesus really saying? Because Jesus said in another place, I only do what the Father tells me. So you can't go around saying... You're my friend if you do what I command you. But you can say, this friendship has to please God or we ain't having it. We're not having a friendship. It's going to be about backbiting and gossip and slander and, and, and saying things behind people's back together. About being toxic and, and a, little, a little power group that we're going to form against the other people in the, in the, in the community or the workplace or the church. We're not going to have that kind of friendship. I had to take a guy out to lunch one time. We were friends. I loved him. I really loved him. I didn't want to do this. But he kept behaving really badly toward, toward women in particular. And the, the last straw, and this had gone on for a long time, the last straw was a woman came to me and told me something very uh, sexual that he said to her. And I just took him out and I said, listen, listen, friend, I'm done. We can't be friends anymore. I walked away from that friendship. I said I, I said, I cannot keep protecting your secrets. Your secrets are too dirty. I can't keep protecting them. You're not a friend like Jesus if your friend can do no wrong. You know, Ronan Farrow wrote, uh, uh, wrote this book all about, mostly about Harvey Weinstein and that whole mess. And he went to see Tom Brokaw to ask him about Harvey Weinstein's behavior and all his uh, predatory, sexual predatory behavior and he said, I, I want you to tell me about Harvey Weinstein. And, and Tom Brokaw goes, well, uh, he, I can't. He's my friend. Well, later he did talk to, to give Tom Brokaw credit. He did, he, later on he did talk. But that cannot be, I see too much of that. Or, oh, that's my friend. <laughs> no. I, don't, I, I want you to be the kind of friend to me that will correct me when I'm wrong. I want you to be the kind of friend to me that will help me to be like Jesus. And I don't want you to be the kind of friend to me that will tolerate garbage because I'm your friend. Because you're so insecure and you're, you're so hungry for love that you will compromise in order to get it. Jesus would not do that. A friend like Jesus insists that friendships please God. A friend like Jesus lays down their lives for others. A church that started out in, in deep friendship. In the, in, in the New Testament devolved into an institution that focused on buildings, forms, holy obligations, and personal reward. I don't know if you understood what I just said. I don't know if that means, makes any sense to you. But they, they stopped laying down their lives for one another. In, in, the, in, the, in, 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 the, in the fourth century, they built their first cathedral in Turkey, I mean uh, Armenia. Built the first cathedral in, in, in Armenia. Big stone building, right? And eventually, they mistranslated the word church, which, 
originally the word church was ecclesia, which meant an assembly of people, and they changed the word to mean to, to the German word kirsch, which meant a building, an edifice, a cathedral. The church quit being people. And it started being buildings. And it started being forms of religion. And church became, became a place where you go and got your salvation and went home. That's not a church. A church is where you go and you, you meld your lives with the lives of other people. And you become together the body of Christ. Why should you be a friend like Jesus? Notice that Jesus started in eternity past. Chapter 14, verse 31. The world must learn that I love my Father. Chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. You should be a friend like Jesus. Here's why. Because you are like God. God works on friendship and love and relationship. That's what the Trinity is all about. I don't fully understand the Trinity and how the Trinity works, but I'm telling you, the Trinity is important. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Because in eternity past, God spent his, God's world was about relationships. God's world was about fellowship with, the, with His Son and with the Holy Spirit. Before anything, there was love and friendship. Friendship wasn't created. It, it's eternal. God said, it's not good that man be alone. Adam wasn't lonely because he was imperfect. God, Adam wasn't lonely because he was flawed. Adam was lonely because he was perfect. The more... The less like God you are, the less you love and enjoy people. Ouch. You know, some people say, well, I'm an introvert. Let, let me tell you, I'm an introvert too. Introvert, extrovert has nothing to do with whether you love people or not. It's just kind of how you get your energy. A, an introvert will, will probably probably be more likely to, to, after church, get over to the side and have a deep conversation with one person where an extrovert will be holding court with 15 people. That's the only difference. An extrovert, introvert, if you don't love people, that is not a personality uh, uh, difference. That's a sin problem. I thought I would get an amen on that. Let me say it again because you didn't hear me. I know you didn't hear me because you, you're not that dead. If you don't love people, and you don't seek people out. That is not a personality uh, 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 difference. That is a sin problem. And, and I'm calling you to repentance. I really am. The le uh, you're not a tree. You're not a machine. You're an image bearer of God. And God craves fellowship. God made people so he could... Walk with them in the cool of the day. You know, the, the, you know the, the Eastern religion says God is detached. Detachment is spirituality in the Buddhist religion. The Greeks said God was incapable of emotion. Jesus said otherwise. 
You are formed for friendship. You are created for connection. Another reason that connection is, is, is necessary and reason you need it is because it's just embedded in the structure of reality. It's just embedded in the structure of reality. Uh, neuroscientist John Cassiopo did this experiment with, experiment with cardiovascular monitors and a little vial. And they had people, they had a group of people, because he sat in class at Harvard, and he heard them talking about the brain, but they, they acted like everything that was going on in the brain was because of chemicals inside the brain. And they never talked about what was going on outside of the person's life that was affecting the chemicals in the brain. And John said, this neuroscientist, he became a neuroscientist, said, said something's wrong about that. So he did this, finally did this experiment where they had these people wear a heart monitor, a cardiovascular monitor, and they had a little vial. Nine times a day, they were to stop, and they were to, um, they were to write down their heart rate, whatever their heart rate was, and they were to put some saliva in this little vial they had, nine times a day. And then they were to turn all that in, and then they were to make a note, uh, after they did that, they were to make a note to describe how connected and lonely or, or together they were at the moment. And what they discovered is that when people were feeling lonely and disconnected, their heart rate shot up, and they discovered that uh, cortisol, which is a, a chemical that's designed for a, a fight-or-flight chemical, it's, it goes up when you need to have a big fight, it, it also has some uh, uh, negative health effects if you get too much cortisol in your system. And for those of you that care about weight gain, it's actually related to weight gain, to have, to have overloads of cortisol, unhealthy amounts of weight gain. And these people's cortisol would shoot up. The, the anxiety, the heart rate, and the cortisol levels were the same as if somebody punched them, if they were attacked. Because connection and togetherness is embedded in the fabric of reality. Even if you don't believe the Bible, you know, there was a, another, another illustration of this is on, on, uh, on uh, Cape, uh, Martha's Vineyard. Some of you probably remember with Chilmark. I don't know if you know, but uh, in Chil Chilmark, there was a community out there that, that, had a gen that was so isolated for so many years, they had a genetic uh, an anomaly that kept reproducing itself, right? And so because of it, 10% of the population was deaf. And this happened from the 18th century to the 1950s. And somebody, a historian, decided to do a study on, on the, the deaf people that were on Chilmark and, and deaf people that were living in the state of Massachusetts. You know where they found out? The, the deaf people that lived in Chilmark had the same rates of, uh, made the same amount of money, same rates of, same rates of high school graduation, and, uh, and, and, uh, and same rates of marriage. When they, would, when they would move off Martha's Vineyard and live in Massachusetts, or Deathfield, Massachusetts would have, their, their employment rate would be like, and the amount of money they would be like one-third of what, the, what that people in that community. Their marriage rate would be one-half. Their, their, graduation, their gradu, graduation rates were much lower than the people on Martha's Vineyard. And the, the historian came up with this analysis, that the reason was that in that community, in that community on Martha's Vineyard, everybody learned sign language. The whole community spoke sign language. So every deaf person in that community had 
enormous amounts of friendship and connection. And because they had enormous amounts of friendship and connection, they were just as productive and just as, just as happy as people who could hear. Because that's what friendship does. Friendship takes everybody and lifts them up. Friendship takes everybody and lifts them up to the same level. You know, everybody, both parties have their solution for what we're supposed to do. The, the, the Democrats, you're supposed to, we need more social programs in order to uh, solve our social problems. The Republicans, we need more private investment in order to solve our social problems. They both have some truth, right? You need some social programs. You need private investment. But they're missing the third leg of the stool. People are transformed when they have relationships. Friendship. We will not solve our social problems till people, because people are not just economically poor. They're poor in a whole bunch of other ways. They're relationally poor. And we want help them to fix it. In fact, there's a, a, a pastor in New York City who cut his feeding program by, down to one-third. And people in the church were upset because they cut their feeding program of the homeless by one-third. And he, he made this statement in defense. He said, that is the maximum we can both feed and still befriend. The only way, he said, these lives are going to be changed is if we become their friends. And that's a neglected dimension of social service. Okay, so let me close here today with this. What will enable you to become a friend like Jesus? The Christians weren't the only ones who had sacred writings. They weren't the only group who claimed to have a divine leader. The Roman citizens had emperors. They did emperor worship. They believed, they believed the emperor was divine. But the disciples and the early Christians, who were so phenomenal at this, by the way. Read the book of Acts. They were so phenomenal at connection and friendship. They were the ones who were amazed and rested in the assurance that Jesus Christ, their friend, had made the ultimate sacrifice for them. They were so positively valued and impacted by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus that love flowed out of them. They were so transformed by the presence of Jesus that had been deposited within them that they exuded, they, they, they exuded his value of friendship. Muhammad left a book. Buddha left wise sayings. Confucius left Proverbs. Jesus didn't leave us words, mere words. Jesus said, I give you my friendship. Jesus said, I give you me. <laughs> because that's what a friend does. Jesus said, I send my spirit to dwell in you. Jesus didn't give us a map. Christy said it this while ago. She said it, didn't she? Jesus didn't give us a map. He gave us himself. I said, Jesus didn't give us a map. He gave us himself. That's why you don't have to know what tomorrow brings. Because Jesus has given you himself. He's filled you with his spirit. Jesus, Jesus is giving us himself. Once you understand once you understand that Jesus, that this, this whole thing is built on a miracle. Because some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, Pastor Phil, I can't do it. And you are correct. 
you cannot do it. It's impossible for you to become the person that you need to be to others. But your Christianity is built on an impossibility anyway. It's built on the possibility that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again. So we're not frightened by the impossible. Amen? The cross of Jesus has both horizontal and vertical dimensions. Self-absorbed religiosity remains only vertical. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. <laughs> True cross-bearing Christianity understands that without other humans to comfort, correct, instruct, and annoy me, and even hurt me, I'm not living out the mission of Jesus. Hear the words I'm saying, please. And certainly not transmitting the message of Jesus. By this will all men know that we're his disciples. Because we have love for one another. Not perfect one another, but sinful one another's. All kinds of one another's. But our fuel... <laughs> Our fuel for this love is Jesus. We can do this. What will enable us to do this is the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that will enable you to walk into another person's life and love them with your whole heart. They don't have to give you the reason to love them. Jesus is the reason you love them. I said, they don't have to give you the reason to love them. Jesus is the reason that you love them. Let's stand. Oh, we serve a good God. We serve a good God. And I want you right now all over this auditorium, all over this auditorium, after we pray, the front is going to be open for communion. I'm not going to invite you forward today for a special prayer. But the front will be open. And communion is very sacred to us. Don't think we're minimizing communion by doing it this way. We glorify it. We, 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 we exalt it around here. But I want you right now to get in touch with the love of God. Because somebody's here this morning and you can't do what I'm preaching. You can't do it. It's overwhelming to you. The thought of going to the person who's alone and inviting them. You, you feel so maybe insecure within yourself. So hurt. Life has hurt you so much. Here's what I want us all to do. I want us to lift our voices, our hands even. Just, just symbolic, raising hands is just symbolic, and you don't have to do it if it's, you're not comfortable with it. And I want us to ask for a manifestation of God's love to fill us up. For us. For us. And so that what others will experience this week, and that new person, we're going to go, go move into their life, they're, they're just going to get an overflow of what God is doing in our lives. Can we do that right now? Father, in Jesus' name, I need to feel your love. God, I'm so weak. I'm so insecure. I'm so full of my, my own preoccupation, so full of wanting my own way, so full of my own need for power that I totally miss the fact that you love me and that I already have the greatest gift ever, which is your love. And Father... I receive your love and that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will quicken my mortal body.
That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will, will quicken my mortal body. I declare that today at Bethany Community Church, I declare a victory of love in the name of Jesus. Let's give the Lord a hand for a victory of love in this place. God bless you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to open up the altars, the altar area. It's a time for you to come and spend some time in prayer. Those of you who want to do that and need to do that, if you're ready to go into fellowship, the back of the room is for fellowship. The front of the room is for contemplation and prayer. We can do both. God bless you. Have a great day.